Hysteria is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She deserves the best. That's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And right now, you can get 25% off your entire Books purchase. Here's why everyone likes the Books company. Books is different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms, so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano, which I love. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Books is simple. Go online, pick the delivery date, and you are done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank your mom. Order your books now. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. Erin, I love my books. I love a flower that lasts forever, and my books arrangements really do last a full solid week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, I have some sitting on my kitchen table right now, mm-hmm. and they've been there for several days. And usually when I buy them at, like, the grocery store, they're sort of, like, starting to crap Fade. out pretty quickly. Yep. Not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever Absolutely, you Absolutely, because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S.com, promo code hysteria. Books, promo code hysteria. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. This week, Alyssa Mastromonaco and I talk about Elizabeth Warren and this country's depressingly recent history of institutionalized pregnancy discrimination. Fun! Then, Spooky October continues with Dana Schwartz, Megan Gailey, and the return of Z-Way in studio, where we talk about our complicated relationship with true crime and the real people affected by them. And as always, our hills. Before we get started, a little bit of housekeeping. If you want to submit a hill you'll die on, record a 30-second voice memo on your phone and send it to hysteria at crooked.com. I want to add a little note this week. We have literally hundreds of these. Caroline spends all of her free time listening to hills and making a list and uh, and recording how she feels about all of them. No, we we have so many of them. You guys are very opinionated. Um, And so, you know, don't be mad if we don't get to it. Just know that there are so many people with such strong opinions. Also, if you have a question about navigating a tough situation at work or how to make friends as an adult, or maybe you're trying to find some real life advice or get our opinions about something divisive like the Joker movie, which none of us have seen, send us an email at hysteria at crooked.com with your questions and we'll answer the ones we like in our weekly video segment, Dude You Asked, which you can see on Crooked Media's socials. Oh, hey, if you live in or near Virginia, Vote Save America can help you find volunteer opportunities all month that will help make the difference in November. You can also find remote volunteer opportunities to help wherever you live or donate to our Fuck Gerrymandering Fund to help make sure Virginia candidates in some of the closest races have the resources they need in the final stretch. Go to votesaveamerica.com slash Jerry, G-E-R-R-Y, for more information. Because the news is overwhelmingly shitty, I'm doing a new thing where I offer a wholesome recommendation every week. This week, my extremely wholesome recommendation is try making popcorn on the stovetop instead of the microwave, and then put something besides butter and salt on it. This week, I couldn't find butter, so I melted some ghee with olive oil and Trader Joe's chili lime seasoning, and I tossed that shit all together, and it was fucking delicious. So that's my wholesome recommendation. Now let's get to the show. Hello. Hey, Alyssa. 
Hey, Aaron. Um, I had an observation. You ready for it? Please. Okay. Please tell me. Okay. Well, I'm not a connoisseur of either. And I'm only judgmental if you're a connoisseur of one of these two things. But okay, have you ever noticed that like conservative commentators and gay porn stars have very similar sounding names? You know, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> they do. It's like this hyper masculine quality that's like penetrative, like, uh, you know, like Ram Cogswell or something like that. <laughs> But, or like Rush, how? Yeah, like Rush how did Limbaugh. you come to this? I don't know. I was like, you know, there is one particular conservative commentator who I who I know personally, whose name is Buck Sexton. That I was always that's like, a lie. That's true. There's a <laughs> real guy a lie. who is yeah. There's a real guy with that name. And then I started looking deeper into it, and I was like, Rush Limbaugh. Like they're all like sort of these. They're very Peter Northy, if you know what I mean. Oh, well, Peter Northy. I North know what you mean. Gay, but anyway, yeah. So that's my observation of the week, and I've just been sitting with that. You know what? I feel like you saved it for me, and it makes me feel special and worthwhile. You are special and worthwhile. Um, Thank you. <laughs> another. Well, th- this was like my thought that was distracting me from the most irritating thought of the week, which is that there are people out there, lots of people out there, who don't believe that pregnancy discrimination was a thing. Very recently, um, <laughs> like it's. But is it? It. I mean, I don't know. It, Allegedly, it could be a myth, like the female <laughs> orgasm, or I don't know. Um, look, so Elizabeth Warren said on the campaign trail that she was let go from a teaching job because she was visibly pregnant in 1971, um, and there was reporting in the Free Beacon and um, other publications that was like. Eh, but was she? We don't know. We saw the school board minutes. Um, what do you think about the current debate over Warren's truthfulness about pregnancy discrimination? I mean, let's file it under the dumbest conversations we've had. Like, of all the things, not dumb because it does exist, but dumb because it's like the free beacons, like, we've got her. <laughs> you know, like, let's start an impeachment inquiry because we've got her. And when you think about how they're attacking this like, well, we have the minutes of the board meeting as if mm-hmm. anyone mm-hmm. is going to write down in her HR file, fired her because we hate people who have to procreate. Well, I mean, the president does announce crimes as he's doing them. So maybe they're more like, you know, pe- that's how people do crimes. That's how crimes have always <laughs> been done. You write down <laughs> discriminating on the basis of the fact that you are pregnant and we hate you. Um, that was that was something that was like very strange to me because as soon as that came out, women were like, it happened all the time, especially for teachers who were pregnant. Once you hit five months, there were, um, somebody who worked in Elizabeth Warren's former school district said once you hit five months, you were expected to step down, which is right. Like, it was like you were in on it. Like you had to be. It's like you you hit it as long as you could. The minute you started to show, you were like just supposed to understand implicitly that it's time for you to go. I'm curious, though, this is like maybe a little bit college seminar of a question, but like, why were they so prudish about teachers being pregnant? Were kids not supposed to be aware that teachers were having sex or did? Well, no idea, because when you think about it, it's like when everyone talks about, for example, how Lucille Ball broke barriers, you know, back in the 50s when she was a pregnant woman on television and they showed her being pregnant. It's like, this is all 20 years later and it's still, you know, like, oh, I'm sorry. Can you, we don't want to look at you. It's, it's completely bizarre. 
Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It sort of reminds me of, I guess the modern day analog of it is like people being averse to women breastfeeding or pumping in public. But still, it's like, why are you like you came from if you're a person, you came from a woman's body. There's no getting around that. You know, like, right. Why? Why is it everyone? So, why are they so disgusting everyone. to people who are the in- members on that board that took the minutes came from someone? <laughs> what? No, <laughs> allegedly, allegedly, no, they were beamed down from a whole planet that is governed entirely by misogynist principles. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the history of women not being allowed to be discriminated against because they were pregnant. Um, you know what I learned this week and I didn't, I didn't realize this. I think I had, I passed this information before and just never internalized it because my, my brain was like, no, that's too crazy. Um, the pregnancy discrimination act was not passed until 1978. Correct. Which is crazy to me. Like women could feasibly get fired, um, because, of being pregnant or they would quit, you know, because they're going to have a baby and they wouldn't be allowed to come back to work. Right. Um, but the, but the PDA, the Pregnancy Discrimination Act, which is a funny, funny name, funny name. They should ask women to like vet the names of these laws. If an employee is temporarily unable to perform her job due to pregnancy, the employer must treat her the same as any other temporarily disabled employee. For example, by providing light duty, modified tasks, alternative assignments, disability leave or leave without pay. Now, that's still not great. Correct. Um, How many other countries in the world treat pregnant women and new mothers as shittily as America does? I don't think any. I mean, I think there's two others that don't provide government assistance, but we're pretty bad. Which two? I mean, like, but that's the thing. I mean, we're just like so for for the place that we occupy in the global community, we are pathetic on this issue. Mm-hmm. And most issues that relate to like maternal health. Yeah, it's really bad. I mean, I've been trying to think about this this week, like not just the what, but also the why. So why is it that it wasn't until 1978 that pregnant women who were trying to work had any protections at all? Like, what is the underlying part of our DNA as a country that makes us so crappy to women? And then when women are like, yeah, things are crappy, we're like, no, they're not. You know, like, but are they? Yeah. No, isn't it an interesting thing? I think it was just for the October issue of Inc. Magazine. Audrey Gelman, founder of The Wing, was visibly pregnant on the cover shoot. She was very pregnant. She she was Trey Preggs. And she, I think, is the first pregnant woman to ever be on the cover of a business magazine. Whoa. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's also like very difficult to be a pregnant woman and work and not have any anything done to kind of modify your duties. Not to say that you should be given like lighter responsibilities, but you just need to be able to rest. You need to be able to um, right. You need to be able to take time to go see the doctor. And, you know, Audrey Gelman, for as as cool as she is and for as as much great work she's done for women in founding the wing, she is the CEO. You know, she does she gets to make the Correct. decision to accommodate her own needs. And I have a friend from uh, back in Chicago who has a company also, and she was pregnant as a CEO too. But like the reason she was able to work mostly through her pregnancy and, and have it be on her terms was because it was her company. Right. So what is the way forward? Like, how do we get, how do we make things better for us, both in the way that we treat pregnant women and in believing that things were bad as recently as they were? Well, I mean, I guess it would be a real start if we didn't treat 
pregnancy like a woman's problem. <laughs> you know, right. it's like, well, that's her problem. And no, 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 no. Okay. It's like women are pregnant because they have the gift and burden of being the people who bring more people into the world that we need. And so let's just treat them like anybody else, you know, and understand that when look and the things like, it's always a weird thing to have to, in order to make the accommodations, especially legally in a lot of these cases, they, they consider it's like a pregnancy related disability. Mm -hmm. Right. And that seems like if that's what you have to say to get the job done, I guess, but being pregnant really, I don't know, should be considered a disability. Like, isn't that a weird, don't you think that's a weird thing? Yeah, it's not. a. I mean, because it is on one hand, it changes your like your body Abilities. and what you're able to do. But it is. And, but it's temporary and it doesn't reduce your capacity to think like if you're in the knowledge exactly. economy, if you work in an office. That's something that was always really confusing to me is like the whole model of people going to physical offices to work seems very strange to me and very anti parent. Um, right. Because I think a lot of people like both mothers and fathers could benefit from uh, from situations that allow them to work from home for blocks of time or that allow them to work for like six hours, take, you know, an hour to get their kids and then go home and work for a couple hours at night and have that be something that's OK by their company. It seems like flex flexible time, flexible workspaces would be something that would be uh, very helpful for pregnant women and new parents, especially. Um well, I was also like, we were researching the pregnancy rights stances of the presidential candidates um, going into this week's episode. Um, did you have any thoughts about which candidates seemed the strongest about it? I mean, I feel like everyone sort of has a a way into it, right? Like Bernie wants to expand the WIC program for pregnant mothers and infants. You know, Beto published his 21st century labor contract, which requires reasonable accommodations for pregnant women, you know, and Joe Biden, you know, he has his, he has his paid family leave plan that he will, the plan that he supported uh, that Governor Cuomo put up, which provides three months of paid leave for mothers. So I feel like everyone sort of has something, but I think it's kind of like what we were saying. I think even, you know, people are always looking to protect the, I think the Democratic candidates are looking to protect people who need the protection. And it's still up until we got the Elizabeth Warren story, I think people even begin to forget that like employed pregnant women need protection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, another thing I was thinking in, in kind of diving into this this week was that a lot of um, a lot of cases involving pregnant women prior to 1978 kind of hinged on the Civil Rights Act and, right. and the provision that that barred discrimination on the basis of uh, sex. And uh, that apparently courts were like, no, that's not what this is. Discrimination against pregnant women isn't on the basis of sex. And that's why the, the pregnant uh, workers protection law was required to actually be effective. So anyway, in looking at this, it's like, OK, look. The the courts were not willing to see the Civil Rights Act as protecting pregnant women across the board. So we had to pass right. a law that was like, no, 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 we are protecting pregnant women. Um, I feel like a lot of cases of like gender discrimination, sex discrimination um, could be solved if we just passed the ERA. <laughs> what do you think? Again, it all comes back to the ERA. <laughs> 
I just, it just seems like that's what we're going to end up having to do because otherwise we're just going to constantly lose battles with people who are like, no, in the 1960s, you know, they never intended for this law to be this because they were afraid to like look at a pregnant woman. Otherwise they thought they would turn into a frog or whatever. Um, So like, I, I feel like we need some kind of sweeping legislation that's like, no, it's not okay to discriminate against women who make choices that are a biological bi- biological function of their being female or any, and anybody kind of global capable. necessity. Yeah. I mean it it really does seem like it. Um okay, so any final thoughts on Warren and the story of her pregnancy and how now people are like not <laughs> believing that it happened. Just keep on keeping on EW. Like she's just like a tank. She knows one direction, she keeps going forward. You know, she answered the uh, she answered the free beacons <laughs> criticisms or attempted expose and just kind of like, fuck it. Yeah. Oh, by the way, Alyssa, you know, yeah. what, you know what a shirt I'm wearing today? What? A Houston Cougars shirt. Cougar. <laughs> yes, it is uh, Elizabeth Warren's alma mater. And uh, I'm wearing a shirt of it. I, I purchased a shirt of it after she did that tweet because I was so excited. <laughs> Can you please post a selfie? Oh, a hundred percent. I'll post a selfie. Awesome. Um, I mean, it. Th- this is like I. I mostly find fandom embarrassing. Like I'm very like, oh, I can't express enthusiasm about the. This is like my biggest fandom gesture in quite some time. Oh my god, you should see the back of my Subaru Forester. I, I should a lot of fandom. I would love to see the back of your Subaru Forester, Eliza. <laughs> um, do you have a toast or a roast? I have a toast. Oh, okay. Do you have one? I do. I have a toast as well. Positivity. Okay, My yes. Yeah, so I want to praise Holly Bear Four Thirty Five at Katmai <laughs> National Park in Alaska because Holly fucking crushed the internet by winning the fattest bear before hibernation contest, which is like a sweet sixteen bracket for all the bears in Katmai National Park. <laughs> and the thing that I love about her the most is one. The description of her. Holly is a medium-sized blonde bear whose coat darkens in the fall and can be described as the color of a toasted marshmallow. Is that a dating profile? That sounds sounds very, very seductive. And also, she's mothered pregnant at least four litters of cubs and also adopted a yearling cub last year who'd been abandoned by her mother, which is a big deal because bears are apparently very selfish creatures who don't display altruism. So she is a queen, and I hope she has a deliciously restful hibernation. A toast to Holly. Holly the toast big, to Holly, Holly our the, toasted marshmallow. The big fat toasted marshmallow bear. <laughs> I um I also have a toast. I want to toast Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Frey. He is getting a lot of positive press this week. Well, a lot of press, period, um, because the president wants to hold a Keep America Great rally in Minneapolis on Thursday. But the president and his gang of uh, 80s villain sidekicks um, <laughs> aren't very good at paying their bills. And so Mayor Frey is demanding payment up front. And Trump's campaign is saying the security fees are exorbitant and that he's throwing a big fit on Twitter about it. You can follow along with that on the news. What I want to what I want to focus on is Mayor Frey responded with yawn. Welcome to Minneapolis, where we pay our bills. We govern with integrity and we love all of our neighbors. Alyssa, do you think that's a Prairie Home Companion reference? I think it might be. I think it might be. Just, just a warm embrace. Also, quick reminder that when Trump demanded to go to El Paso where no one wanted him, he had actually not paid his previous 
bills or his bills from a previous visit. So he just doesn't pay his bills. So 100% on the side of the great state of Minnesota on yeah, this one. And this, the city of Minneapolis. But I also want to talk a little bit about Mayor Frey beyond his Twitter sassiness. Um, he's got really good policy, it turns out. He, the guy's only 38 years old, which is insane to me. 38 oh years old. He um, has uh, advocated to make polluters pay for the pollution that they put into <laughs> the world, making it easier to vote. So landlords have to provide their tenants with um, with information on voter registration. And he's done a ton with affordable housing in Minneapolis, which is really rad, and paid family leave. And here's the craziest thing, Alyssa. Hit um, me. He is a former... Okay, Donald Trump called him a lightweight on Twitter. Well, <laughs> good, because Mayor Frey used to be a world-class marathon runner, and his best time is two hours and 16 minutes. That is... Oh, my God. That is so fucking fast. That is so fast. I've My fastest marathon was like four hours and two minutes, and that's considered good for a normal person. Two well, sixteen. And- Look, and I watched Britney runs a marathon and I was like, you know what? If I could do it in under six, I'd be stoked. <laughs> um, yeah. So here's another thing that I was thinking when I found out that he can run a 216 marathon at one point in his life. It's like, oh, that's why he's not afraid of the president. When you're that fast, you're just like, I don't give a fuck. You could just his be very cocky. hashtag to Donald Trump should just be catch me if you can. Oh, I would love that. I would get a shirt of Mayor Jacob Frey's alma mater and wear it on the next episode of of Hysteria, even though though this is an audio medium. Okay. Um, So that's uh, that's it for toasts and roasts. We got two toasts and we have a big, long conversation. And Alyssa, I will miss you. I'm looking forward to talking to you next week. Next week. Bye. Bye. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. Shop chef-quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com. Welcome back to the show. This is the part where I am not lonely at a table by myself talking into a microphone with a person on the phone. I'm joined by three amazing women to talk about something that we are interested in discussing. I know that's very specific. Uh, First, I want to introduce an author whose new book, The White Man's Guide to White Male Writers of the Western Canon, comes out in November. It's Dana Schwartz. Hey. Welcome. Thank you. And thank you for saying that entire long title. I wrote, I had to write it down. Yeah. I'm like better at reading things that are written down than I am thinking them, which is bad. It is an appropriately long title. It's oh good, though. God. I think it's funny because it's long. Like, it makes it... I mean, what... That's in, what I thought. It, it is. It's funny because it's long. <laughs> That's the next book. With books and penises. <laughs> oh. Oh, hmm. God. It's so early. Is it? Is it funny because it's long? Okay. Up next, <laughs> comedian whose first comedy album, My Dad Paid for This, which has a double meeting, <laughs> drops November 1st. It's Megan Gailey. Hi, guys. So good to have... It's a double Dana and Megan. I know. Two back to back. back. That's like, I hope the listeners wanted it. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think they, they didn't not want it. No, they didn't. Yeah. No they, one's ever like, ugh, I hate when you're on it. 
I mean, people are nice. Yeah, people are nice. People tend to be nice. So if you feel that way, thank you for keeping it to yourself because <laughs> I really don't want to know. <laughs> and finally, uh, for the first time in the L.A. studio. Oh, my God. I'm so it feels like it's been it's been over a year. Yes, I, mi- I missed you so much. Oh, my God. Missed you terribly um, as well. She's a writer for Jesus and Marrow and the host of Pop Show, which New Yorkers, lucky New Yorkers can see at Union Hall on November 14th. It's Z-Way. Hi, guys. Hola. You Hello. also have to mention that Z-Way is wearing like the best jumpsuit oh, I've ever like seen. Jumpsuit. Yes. And it's <sighs> 9.37 a.m. It's yes, 9.37 a.m. But you're, maybe your your brain is on New York time. Your heart is on New York time. I woke up at 5 o'clock in the morning, so probably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, before Z-Way came into the studio today, Caroline was like, you need to prepare yourself for the incredible outfit that Z-Way <laughs> was wearing. Oh, my God. I love that. I love <laughs> the intro. I yes, was like, yes. I, I was not prepared. I attempted <laughs> to prepare. That was in my writer, actually. I was like, I will not come unless someone announces my outfit. <laughs> <laughs> How have you been? What I've been great. Yeah. Living life, dying slowly like us all. <laughs> yeah, it's been wild. Um, how is uh, writing for how's Showtime? Stuff? I love them. I, they're a fantastic network and Jesus and Mara are absolute angels. It's like such a blessing to work for them. And That's you guys awesome. are on a bit of a hiatus right we, now? Yeah, but we cool. come back Monday. Oh, wow. Yeah, so wow. the show is back in action Monday, Thursday, 11 p.m. Showtime. <laughs> yes, I did just plug that. <laughs> That's good. That, that means you're a good employee. Yes, I try my best to not get fired every day. <laughs> That's, <true. laughs> That's all we can all really do, you know? That's we can all really do. Um, well, I'm really excited to talk about the topic this week with this specific group of women. Um, it's October, and I love mm. holiday-themed everything, and uh-huh. and I also love Halloween. And so I wanted every episode this month to have a, like, vaguely spooky theme. <laughs> love it. Um, so I was thinking um, a, a few weeks ago that uh, true crime— Women are obsessed with it. Mm. We've all kind of like dabbled in it. And it's it's something that right now is experiencing a moment, a moment of either massive popularity or massive amounts of people being like, we've reached peak to true crime. It's over, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. So I want I was like looking into it. True crime. Is it new? No. Actually, no, not at all. It is one of the oldest genres of fascination in like American culture. Have you guys ever heard of Lizzie Borden? Of oh, course. Yeah. She had an axe. She had an axe. Lizzie Borden hat took an axe. She yeah. took an, I mean, we know about that. And it's like uh, 130 years later. Yeah. Um, Truman Capote wrote that the human heart being what it is, murder was a theme not likely to darken and yellow with time, which just, you know, goes to show that, of course, we have new mediums to explore true crime podcasts and the Internet and all that. So we're going to use them. So um, my first question is for you, Zui. Sure. Um, what's with our collective morbid fascination with true crime? And do you share in that morbid fascination? I definitely share in this. I used to like read, read Wikipedia pages about Ted Bundy <laughs> as like a nine-year-old just being absolutely obsessed with this dude. <laughs> um, why are we obsessed with murder? I don't know. Because it's I don't want to die. None of us want to die. And so <laughs> if we can feel the death without having to die, that's pretty... That's as good as it's going to get, I guess. I guess it's sort of like an unknowable thing, right? Like it's unknowable. Like the people that do these things are unknowably evil. Mm. Like, do you watch Vsauce videos on YouTube? No. Oh, this is the nerdiest thing I've ever said. I'm so sorry to everyone listening that there's a guy on YouTube who makes like semi-nerdy educational videos. And he has a video on like the fascination with the macabre and the creepy. And his like scientific, you know, he backs it up. Like his hypothesis is that it like humans want to learn about death as much as we can to like, because 
like as a as a defense mechanism totally. for us. And like mm. you get as close as you can, but you know you're safe. Exactly. That you get like that rush. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, Megan, do you have any true crime obsessions? Any that yeah, you're you fascinated with? I, <laughs> I just get so afraid. And I think I mentioned this book last week. In Cold Blood is my favorite book of all time. Not really? Like that and The Color Purple. Wow. <laughs> Total Go off yeah. But just like I, I had to, I was assigned both of them at like a very formative age and I took to them. Truman and Alice spoke to me as a young white girl in Indiana. Um, and so, but that, like, I love ones, I mean, obviously a horrific, terrible crime that that book is about, but it's like, oh, that's a family in Kansas. Like I'm, that's not good. But like when, when it does hit so close to home of like, oh, it's a woman walking. Or when we mentioned Michelle McNamara's book and it, and how he, the, Golden, Golden State, State killer. how he targeted couples. Oh, it's like, yeah. ooh, that like got that got so close to me that I was like, ooh, those ones are a little too scary because they feel real. So I like true crime in the sense of like, even when I lived in New York, I stopped watching SVU. Really? Because I was like, this could be me. You know, like I walk on that street. It's like, and then you would see SVU filming and you're like, oh no, like what if there's an episode where they're filming an episode and then someone dies in the background and it's me. Like it was just so Inception, Inception. scary. Yes, I thought I was going to be the Inception SVU episode. And now in LA, it's like, you know, I live in a, I live in a house. Sorry, guys. And so (laughs) there's times on on Friday night, my fiance went out and I was like, oh, no, I'm here alone. Totally. And I'd been fighting with people on the Internet. You're Drew Barrymore and Scream. Yeah. And I'm like when I used to babysit. Oh, my God. I would put on cartoons and like fall asleep to them because if I was babysitting, I was like, I'm dying. I'm dying in this house. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. I'm going to die here. (laughs) I mean. I used to get upset. I think it was for me, it was like a game of like chicken. Like I would try to get like Zoo, I was saying, I was trying to get like very close to this like awful person. You know, I would read a lot about I, there was this thing called like the crime library that I discovered. And I ended up wasting so much time reading stuff about like the, you know, the the inspiration for Devil in the White City, yeah. the, the H.H. Mm-hmm. H. Holmes. Like I would read about these like this serial killer named Albert Fish and like all this crazy shit. And I would get to a point where I was so scared that I like had to turn the computer off. Like the screen itself yep. was like emanate, like the, the bad guys would come through it and, totally. and get me. And like, I also remember being fascinated with, there's this Nico Case song um, called Deep Red Bells that she wrote about when she was like a teenage runaway during the time that the Green River Killer was in operation in the Ooh. Pacific Northwest. And that song is like a spooky like story where she's imagining like what it must have been like. And that song has always been like one of my favorite songs. And it is so fucked up. It is objectively fucked up that I'm like interested in being entertained by like this horror and like pain that real people have experienced. Do any of you struggle with that? Do any of you think like, I'm, this is exploitative? Sometimes with like with Serial and Adnan, when I remember that there's a young lady that's dead, I feel very guilty. Um, but I've also been in just, we've all as women been put in really precarious situations where it's like, ooh, I could have definitely lost my life. Mm-hmm. So I, sometimes I use this as like a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. So it's a little, it's a little exploitation and it's a lot of healing. Mm-hmm. Some, of it, <laughs> some of it is educational too, where yeah. you're like, oh, okay, so I shouldn't put myself in that situation because that is the situation that like, there, I mean, there's been times where I'm like, I think I want to get a dog just mm-hmm. because I know that that's like more annoying for 
serial killers. Yeah, but I think you're more that. likely to, I mean, statistically, you're more likely to get killed by a dog than a serial killer. Or by Is my that spouse. True? Oh yeah. my God. I'm much more likely to be killed by my spouse. I started wow. by an accident. There's so many ways you could die. Most of them not serial killers. Yeah, most true. of them. And the only thing that's guaranteed is that you have to die. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like if you get a gun in your house to defend. <laughs> Thank you, Z-Way. That's you, a... you smiled at me. We just she made eye contact. <laughs> I have a knife. <laughs> yeah, it's like you get a gun in your house, you're probably, you're more yes, likely to get killed by the gun. Yeah. You get a dog, you know, I mean, not any dog. You get like a poodle. Do from... dogs kill? What are y'all talking about? Oh my about? God. I read a book about dogs. Really? Yeah, dogs definitely kill. I re- I, uh... Snoopy murked someone. But yeah, we're afraid of serial killers. <laughs> All right, well, here's... Well, and you... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know it's Yom Kippur. You go... <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, that's how Yom Kippur should be well, used. Well, you might be hungry. Thank you. Yeah, I, if I'm crabby, please forgive me. Uh... The thing, and I have not interrogated this about my fascination with true crime, is I don't really like present day true crime. I think, yes. as we were saying, it's too close to home. Like, I'm like, ah, I don't like it. It does feel like kind of exploitation y, and it, I associate it with, you know, I guess like tabloids. I don't know. I have bad associations with it. Like trash culture. Yeah. Mm. And not to, I, love I get that people like it. I just, it doesn't hit that with me. But I love, like, I'm obsessed with, like, period. True crime and historical horror, crime. Mm-hmm. historical crime, and like the macabre. Totally. Like once you have that like penny dreadful aesthetic, I am all in, baby. I literally tricked people into letting me start a podcast <laughs> just so I could research mm-hmm. historical. Yeah, because that's murders. technically cr- true crime. Yeah, it's I mean, yours. it's true. And it's, it's true crime. and it's crime. So, what's the statute of limitations on a murder before it becomes like okay to be fascinated? I by think it? for me, it's about the costumes. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Like once we have like set uh, pieces involved, period, then, um, period. Yeah, yes. and there's a corset. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Then that's fine for me. If, like, there's, like, a town crier announcing it. Oh, okay. Okay. And, so, but like, cereal is interesting that you bring up because, like, I was obsessed with obsessed. cereal. I skipped season two. I went back for season three, which was about the judicial system yeah. in Ohio, and it was very heartbreaking and fascinating. And at season one, you're like, oh, well, this is true crime, but it's also about, like, the courts yes. and like what people go and through. And that was making a murder too. Mm. Absolutely. And, and it's and, less about the crime and more and it, about the system. Yeah. And so that like did draw me in, but there were, there was part of making a murderer, especially that I'm like, oh my God, this woman was brutally oh, yeah, she's dead. murdered and we still don't really fucking know exactly what happened and we may never. And, and then it becomes, yeah, about the system and less about the crime when the crime is the root of what the evil actually is. Totally, yeah. totally. I, my favorite crime story right now is that Lisa Rinna's mom was oh almost my murdered. Gosh. Wait, Lisa Rinna what? of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Yeah, and her also, mom, who's still alive, who is just like a fun— Wait, you just said she was murdered. She's no, still alive. almost murdered. Almost oh. murdered. So that means it's a good story because she survived. She's a survivor. Yeah. And so this woman named Lois was almost killed by this like prolific serial killer called the Trailside Killer. And that's where I live, where it's like, how is it connected to my pop culture Barbie? Yeah. I also love that once that thing happens and you can connect it to like the mainstream thing, you're exactly. like, ah, like Christopher Walken was on the boat when Natalie Wood died. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. Wild. I mean, Fran Drescher, have you guys read about? Wait, what, what happened with Fran? Oh, Fran Drescher, when she was um, young, actually, um, 
somebody broke into her apartment. <gasps> oh, and, this is scary. And she was like assaulted. <gasps> oh yeah, I don't like this. At gunpoint. No, but it's, but it's <laughs> another. But, but it's another. See, but that's 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 a that's like a too real close. one. Too real. Yeah. Where I'm like Spring yeah. Hill Jack. That's never gonna happen to me. That would a delightful Victorian haunt. Yeah, you're in like you like museum crime. Yeah. And I like fictional crime. Yes, like I, I love um, British crime, but like of the fiction, like of the Agatha Christie oh, and yeah. and the and whoever the J.K. Rowling pretended to be when she wrote the adult Robert books. Galbraith. I love, I love those, yeah. but those are in Britain, so far away, and not true, so not very true. far away. I love a whodunit because it's solved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it sort of seems like our collective fascination with true crime is like on two different levels. There's like things where we're interested in the crime itself and it's like, oh, we are fascinated by the macabre. But then there's also that like, not Shane Freud, but that like misery porn fascination totally. with the, the broken system. Mm-hmm. So there's like the, I don't want like misery porn, but like we do like love like the lurid and the true crime. Yeah. But then it's equally lurid and awful in a different way when the system is like <laughs> twisted and gross. Because mm-hmm. yeah. there are instances like I was obsessed with Dirty John, mm-hmm. and it's like if he <laughs> if, if he went into a system and it fucked him, I'd be like fine. You know, like yeah. there are because there's stories that are so bad that you're like, oh, the system, I'm done. I don't yeah, care. Exactly. Like you should. He deserves it. Go to jail, throw away the key. But mm-hmm. then there's other things where it's like, what happened? And then and then that is when you want to bring in sort of your social justice mm-hmm. gut instinct of like, yeah. how can I help this bad thing? But when it's a shitty person, I'm like, nah, I don't care if the system's broken. Totally. I struggled watching uh, Making a Murderer because of because of the system. To me, not my, the accents. For me, it was the accents. The accents you're just like, <laughs> well, that hit a little close to home yeah, for you. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it Wisconsin? They're yes. eastern Wisconsin. I'm from western Wisconsin. Oh, oh there's yeah. a difference. I yes. performed in that town. I was actually wow. on the cover. This is, well, it was post Post the murder, pre the documentary, it's a huge hunting town. And so at the open of hunting season, all the men go out of town and all the women are like left in town. And they brought up three female comedians from Chicago and we performed at this bar. And these women were like wasted and funny. But I was on the front page of that town's newspaper. Oh my God. Part of history. Part of murder I know. Maybe that paper was in the background of one of the scenes in Making a Murder. I I hope. As like... Yeah, that on the bottom of someone's shoe. But even <laughs> when we were staying there, we stayed in this like pretty sort of lodgy type hotel, I guess. And it was frightening. Like yeah. when when you can just see trees and nothing else, I get scared. I get terrified. Yeah. In Canada, especially like like Montreal, like if you go like Lac Superior, it's beautiful, but it's desolate. And that's the perfect place for yes. murder. I've heard it posited that American murders are all like in woods and in the outskirts where if you look at like British horror it's always in the city it's, it's in, in the, London. It's in the alleyways. it's in London in yeah. the alleyways yeah. awful dodger it's because uh, <laughs> I think I've, it's like America is spooky because it's big mm. and England is spooky because it's old so wow. it's like the ghosts of like women who have worked in like sweat mills they're murdering you and in America it's like you're in the woods and there's no one around there's for hundreds of miles the woods are scary well you know that also sort of reminds me that I think that that's like a scary story that resonates with us because it makes sense in our brains it's like oh that's scary that's where I would get murdered and that's mm-hmm. those are the stories we share with each other of like oh there's a murder in the woods blah 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 but there are actual crimes like if you take a look at it most crimes don't take 
place like that. And if you take a look at serial killers, like just this week, Samuel Little yeah. uh, was Ugh. revealed to be the most prolific Ugh. serial killer in U.S. history. And the people that he targeted were people that do not become media stars when they go disappear, yeah. when they vanish. Totally. They were poor. They were women of color. They were sex workers. They were drug addicts. They were homeless. And, and that so, was what Jeffrey Dahmer did, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so people get away with it because the people that are targeted are like not people that become media stars. I've found that a kind of disturbing pattern in true crime that when it's like a pretty white lady who gets killed, it's all about the victim. Mm-hmm. And when it's like we we did, we find somebody who's killed like a bunch of people, it's all about the perpetrator. When when they've killed people that are like, you know, uh, on the edges of society, when they're people of color, when they're LGBTQ, when they're runaways, whatever, mm-hmm. then it becomes all about the killer and not about the victims mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. And even when they are LGBTQ, LGBTQ people are murdered. Like, I don't think people know that, like, Kitty Genovese was a lesbian and, like, living with her lesbian, you know, Mm -hmm. girlfriend. It's like only she's only used as, like, the pretty white woman murdered. Mm -hmm. So it's like sometimes even their external identities are stripped away in order for the narrative to take center stage. Right. And also, you know, the fact that, do you guys watch Mindhunter at all? Yes. Yeah. It gives me nightmares. Yeah. I love it. I love to scream in my sleep. I... I have mind hunter nightmares too. But um, one of the things that I've in my like, I, I think I'm telling it myself for like my morbid fascination with this. One of the things that happens in the age of like profiling serial killers is that, you know, they, they're like, oh, people tend to target people that are in their same demographic. So like white men kill white people, black men kill black people, like if you're a serial killer. Mm-hmm. And because people care so much less, I mean, institutionally, like, police officers care so much less about black people than white people. There are, there's a theory that there's like black serial killers who've just been able we to. Just yeah. Totally. There's that theory in Chicago now where <sighs> there are a bunch of young women <sighs> who've gone totally yeah. missing. And yeah, it's not great. I mean, they can, they can get away with it. Like, yeah. you know, people that's like truck stop killers do the same thing. They target women mm-hmm. who are sex workers and addicted to drugs and that nobody will look after. Exactly. There was a, um, when I was in college, there was a guy, a, a student who went missing and it became, I mean, he was missing forever. And like when a kid goes missing on a college campus and he was a white kid and he, uh, you know, came from a, a upper middle class like background and it was this huge national story. There was a Dateline episode about wow. how they were stringing together like it's the Wabash River Killer. Wow. And uh, and everyone was like, what happened to him? Who killed him? Like a shoe was here. And it was, it was a freak accident that ended up killing Mm. him. He was in a boiler room, but it's like everyone's instinct was to jump to, he was murdered by a serial killer instead of something, just a fluke, tragic thing happened. And I do think as a society, we do kind of go to that place because it is more sensational to have a murderer on the loose than it is to just have like doors that weren't locked properly. Mm-hmm. I think that also that's why statistics like about violence, like fear doesn't respond to statistics, right? Like so people who are like immigrants are coming and going to kill us or whatever. It's like you can give them any statistics about how that's not true. And it doesn't matter because fear of like a serial killer, you could say like with the dog, like you're so much more likely to die, like tripping on a sidewalk and hitting mm-hmm. your head than you are with a serial killer. Mm-hmm. But fear doesn't respond to statistics. And I think there's this, we don't, no one wants to die in a, not that we want to get murdered by serial killers, but no one wants their death to be like 
mundane or yeah. terrible or like yeah. I don't know like yes, I would, you, I'd be happy to I would I love to die <laughs> casually I would like to disappear into a giant field of corn like the ghosts in Field of Dreams yeah, that's a great <laughs> one that's but what I, I would like I would like I, to die in a mansion surrounded by models that's a good one. Yeah, like I Hefner. feel like I'd like to just like eat a big meal, <laughs> be like a solid eighty-two, maybe eighty-six. Oh, with take technology, a, give it up to eighty-eight. Yeah, take yeah, a nap, hundred. Take a nap. You know, like yeah. my mom had an uncle who died after Thanksgiving, and it's oh, like, great. what a dream. Lit. Lit. How did he live? <laughs> As he died. But but I think we want Full. we want like meaning, right? Yeah. So it's, I think that's also partly totally. why we, we give this narrative of like serial killers are all geniuses, right? Mm. They're all like mad geniuses, like. We have that weird impulse to do that, which I don't like. Mm-hmm. I don't like when people are like, "Oh, the genius serial killer who hunted his prey." Like, don't don't fetishize these these freaks. Totally. Yeah, it's sort of you know that thing about meaning. Sort of one thing that I think of when I think about these like like true crime stories is like that in order for us to take them in, we have to kind of inoculate ourselves to the real human pain. Like I can't even fathom the pain of the parents oh, whose my God. kids yeah. are, you know, abducted or killed. Like I watched in re- researching this last night, I was home alone. Bad idea. I watched a documentary called Cropsy, which was about a Cropsy. That's a terrifying name. Cropsy. Mm. It's about an urban legend on Staten Island and these kids that went missing and how it all kind of, Actually, the urban legend kind of bore out because there was this like drifter who was like taking kids and killing them. <gasps> Scary. Should we watch this? Um, I kind of love it. It's available to stream on okay. Amazon Prime oh. if you're a member. Um, I am. It is, uh, but it's, Humble but it's like <laughs> it's so brand. it's so sad to me because like the one of the, the first girl who went missing was like this little girl who had Down syndrome and like people saw her with this guy and like walking down the street with him and and like there's her, his her mother is on the the thing and it's just like. Oh man, like I I had a relative that had Down syndrome and just imagining that happening, just like I had to stop. I was like, this is too much, like the pain of the parents is too much. How do you think these people whose stories of their dead loved ones are being exploited feel about all this? Horrible. I'm sure. I mean, it depends on the person because some people want like something the to memory. come, attention, yeah. a memory or something to it exactly. so they can solve the crime. Well, exactly. Almost would it be worse if no one, if you seem to be like shouting into the void and, and no one seems. So I think there's maybe a, 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 a gradient. A gradient. That's the word. Yeah, yeah, Thank yeah. you. Where like you don't want to feel like if your kid, God forbid, like something happens, you don't want to feel like you're the only one who cares. Mm-hmm. But I don't think you want to reach this point where it's like people are latching on and or, making it something it's or not. reopening it's about, the case or it's about the suspect yes. and the like in making murder and serial the victims families are not a part of either of we, those exactly. we and, all know the name of the murderer and yeah. like I don't. I don't think I know the name of Heyman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Heyman's family's not, uh, and they're like, we believe he did it, and we actually really don't want you to be doing an HBO documentary about how the man we believe murdered our daughter didn't do it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's kind of an exploitative way that I think true crime is explored nowadays. But then I think that there's a really kind of pro-social, proactive way. I'm thinking about mm. Michelle McNamara yeah. and like true crime message boards. Um, have any of you kind of gone down that rabbit hole? Never. I'm friends with Billy Jensen, who who did, who like helped finish the book after Michelle McNamara's death and is like a citizen detective, I think he goes. Wow. And they, they legit solve crimes. They yeah. really do. Because police are overwhelmed and they can't get to everything and people on the internet love to be obsessed with things and mm. find details. And sometimes it goes, you know, like I'm not saying everyone on the internet is qualified, but there are obviously, <laughs> but like it does a lot of good. 
Mm. Yeah. So what happens is like there's these crime boards where people will swap stories like unsolved crimes and they'll try to connect them from other other people in the country will be like, hey, actually, this reminds me of a murder that happened or a disappearance that happened where I live. You know, I'm in Maine and this is in Missouri. And like, oh, hey, what? And, and then they'll connect like, oh, this suspect lived here and here. And then eventually sometimes they'll be able to solve it, which That's is super wild. Cool. Absolutely that, wild. That's that uh, new Netflix show with um, Merritt. Uh, God, Merrick. Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland. No, God. <laughs> yes. Uh, Merrick Weaver. He found a place. <laughs> he's the host of a new Listen, network. He's working. He's yes. working, which is more than we could say for everybody. <laughs> no, there's that show about um, the, the rapist, but the rapist was operating in different police precincts. Yes. So these cases yes. weren't being connected because they were not, everyone was trying With to Tony stop Tony Collette. Their, Tony Collette. And yeah. I can't remember the show. Unbelievable. 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 Yeah. Unbelievable is an incredible show. But that's it, right? They If they're operating in different precincts, precincts then sometimes those cases never get connected. Why don't the cops have the same internet we have? You should. The cops should also should be trained on using the internet. The well, internet. and when you, when you listen to podcasts or documentaries that are about crime pre the internet, I, or I, and I think um, the Golden State Killer is one of them. I was like, yeah. I don't think they're going to solve it. Like, I just yeah. don't, like, what? It's they, tough. They're calling each other. There's no DNA. It's like, John Mulaney has that great crazy. bit of like, hmm, gross. <laughs> <laughs> A pool of the, you know, perpetrator's blood. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like, I mean, I think it's like, I don't know. My, my feelings on true crime are very complicated because on one hand, it's like super fascinating. Like, it's sort of like, when you're playing a video game and there's a glitch where it's like all the, you know, all of a sudden, you know, people have horse legs or something and you're like, what the fuck? How did this happen? Yeah. Why? I'm trying to play Madden and now everybody looks like whatever. Um, <laughs> Everybody's a centaur. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like serial killers are just like a dramatic glitch. Like mm. this shouldn't happen. Like we're not, this isn't how people are put together. Why did this happen? What's going on? Yeah. It's, it's certainly fascinating and it's pornographic to watch yeah. these like stories. So it's really, you have to grapple with grapple with that. I think it's about control, right? Yeah. Because if you ga- garner yourself, gather yourself with knowledge about these serial killers, you feel like you're kind of protecting yourself where it's like you're not going to be able to protect yourself from like getting hit by a car or That's dying in, in these, mm-hmm. all these statistical probable ways that you're going to die. Mm. So it's almost like to you're, you know, conflating those fears because you're you because you can't project against the the unforeseeable. You put all of your fear about dying in these like super random but things that you wish you could protect against. Yeah, mm-hmm. I actually the reason why I was obsessed with Ted Bundy is because it taught me to never trust attractive people. Oh, oh true. Never yeah. help an never. attractive person. They don't need your help. When you see yourself in the mirror, way, are you like, wait a minute? Oh, it's just me. <laughs> and I was without makeup. I'm I like, was, hey, girl. <laughs> I was specifically scared of Ted Bundy because he killed. Um, women who were in the same sorority as me. Oh, really? Or I was a Kayo and he killed Kayos. Oh. And so, and like, I did live in a giant house with 90 other women mm. and there were, you know, stories about ghosts and stuff. And like, there's all these like weird urban legends when you just live in an old scary house and then you add Ted Bundy to it. Yeah. And it was just way, 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 way too much for me to ever handle. So I had to stay away from him completely because I was like, someone's going to come in my sorority house and kill all of us. Wow. Is that wow. the one that was like that you most uh, found yourself fixated on when you were younger? Or was there another case that you were like, this is that you got super fascinated with? Well, I think they were all really frightening totally. to me. And I found 
I found fake crime scary too. And I think like, you know, I'm, I've been fighting with men all weekend about the Joker, but it's like, oh my God, you know, the, oh my like I do think that like fictional crime sort of sometimes has a responsibility to not be so insane that it inspires yeah. non-fictional crime. Right, right. Fair. Like fictional crime isn't like, like a movie shouldn't feel like a brainstorming session <laughs> for, for psychos. Yeah. For psychopaths. I just hope that uh, that the true crime genre right now is um, not fucking up a whole new generation of children. Well, it sounds that's like a, that's a, that's it a major is. fear. So it sounds like these, I don't know if these are fucking up future people, but it sounds like our personal traumas affect how we ingest media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think kids get fucked up by random and specific things and you can't predict it because exactly. to this day I'm still fucked up by that scene in Pinocchio where they turn into <laughs> donkeys and one of them is calling for his mom as he turns into a donkey getting mm. sent to the salt mines because Jesus Christ that was four children into this day at like it I'm hearing up it haunts me yeah. they were cartoons no <laughs> he was crying for his mom Aaron. Oh, no the, so your fa- your most uh, impactful true crime was when the magic turned the donkeys <laughs> turned the, the boys, boys into donkeys yeah totally. yeah. yeah that yeah. is some true crime. That's Right there. <laughs> Solve it. How they, they were never brought to justice. The end of Pinocchio. They're never punished. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, we're going to end this conversation on true crime and we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, the hills will die on. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Shop chef-quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com. Okay, we're back. We've reached the part of the show where we have opinions about things that don't matter, and we're very, very adamant about those opinions. Let's get started with the listener, Hill Will Die On. Hi, Hysteria. The Hill I Will Die On is that if you are driving on the right side of the road and your lane is about to end, you need to merge left as soon as you possibly can. If you don't, you are two things. One, you're a dick because (laughs) you're jumping the queue and you know it. Two, uh, you're stupid because you're causing the bottleneck. This is why the aliens don't land. They look down and go, nothing to learn here. And they're probably right. Okay, first of all, props for using the word Q. Mm -hmm. I think we should use that more instead of line. And also, it's such a fun word to write. A really lovely voice. Yes, that was brilliant. I'm going to fully confess that I'm that dick. Yeah, I feel like I am too. I'm trying to get... I'm trying to get pole position. I'm like, I'm leaving the scrubs behind. If everybody, I, I feel like it's all contextual. Like if everybody is merging early, then I'm like, okay, I respect the mm-hmm. line. Then I will also merge early. But I think that it's best for traffic. They draw, they make the road that way for a reason because they want you to merge at the end of the lane. So everybody should merge at the end of the lane. And that's just how you should do it. Yeah. That's that's my I'm aggressive. <laughs> infrastructure week by his Inf- yeah. I mean it is <laughs> actually we'd actually get a lot more done, I think. Um yeah. I mean I, since I, everybody drives like a dick everywhere. Yeah. Minnesota and LA are the two worst places. I think, yeah. For dick nobody lets you merge. I, know. I just also think like get 
out of the left lane if you're going slow. Like, get away. But, like, I'm really afraid of the motorcycles that zoom, zoom, zoom in and out here. Mm-hmm. And I've, like, seen a motorcyclist, like, down <gasps> wow. on the ground. I've, I've, seen, yeah. like, I've uh, seen, like, three of that. I mean, I only did two of them. But you know, <laughs> I'm scared of the birds. People yeah, are, like, riding in my blind spot. And I'm trying to make a right. And I'm, like, really scared. I'm going to hit a yeah. person on a bird. Wow. Yeah. A scooter, like not a riding a bird. Nuts. Yeah, it would be funny if it was an actual <laughs> bird. Oh, my gosh. Um, okay, well, let's, uh, there's mixed resu- mixed reactions to that hill. But I love I love the sentiment. And lovely voice exactly. and lovely use of the word cue. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's the hill I'll die on this week. I recently had to fly uh, back to New York, and I was in an airport. I was in JFK Airport. And JFK Airport is always playing, like, thumping dance music. <laughs> and, like, it just, it sort of reminds me of, like, being in a mall. It's always, like, this... And it's like, I am I at a club? Like, why is this? I really think that there should be a hard and fast rule that no establishment is allowed to play thumping dance music before 10 a.m. Wow. Just a remix. Mm. That's early, no too. Remixes. Yeah. I was, I was like, <laughs> I was there catching a flight that left at like 7. What? And it was, I was there at like 6 30 in line for Dunkin Donuts and there's just like a and it's like I can't I'm not this is not a soccer rally like I'm I'm just trying to get on the plane drink just enough coffee to keep me awake until I get on the plane and then I'm going to fall asleep totally I do not need this so no dance music before 10 a.m please (laughs) and thank you um Dana do you want to go next yeah this is a really tiny but very important one uh I was at the wing in in Los Angeles recently and the door to like their bathroom area is, is on that hinge where it can open or shut both ways. Mm-hmm. And if you are with a door that can open and shut both ways, you have to pull it. You cannot put it's for the person to pull because if you are just pushing out and you're going to hit someone. But what if you have a suitcase in there? Then the, that is the only <laughs> exception. If you have a suitcase or like you're holding a, like a big thing of flowers, then you can pull. Or a, ba- or a baby. Or a baby. Or a baby. Because a baby. at the airport, no, your baby it, to the pull. airport, they always, they always turn in and it's like, listen, we're not checking bags anymore yeah. because of the airline corporate structure. And so now we're having way more stuff with us and they're coming in and it's like, no, that, that like now I'm trapped in here with my bag. Yes. Yes. The exception <laughs> is if you have a giant suitcase. But bearing that, always pull because otherwise you're just when it's just aggressive, you're just banging into people. Totally. And I think like four times in the last week, I've had someone push out and be like, "Oops, sorry." Yeah. But like people are coming in and out. Always pull. It's more polite. It's more polite to okay. pull. Okay. Pull out. That's right. Okay. Pull, always pull. Yeah, always pull, pull out. out. Pull out and pray. <laughs> uh, Megan, you ready? I am. Tired and finished with pretzel rolls. <laughs> I think they've come and gone. It's, really? Uh, yeah. Uh, listen, a brioche is better for yeah. uh, like a sandwich or a burger or, you know, if you're getting a BL. It's just like it, they're dense. Once once Arby's is doing it, and I love Arby's, but once Arby's is doing it, it's over. Uh, it, it, the, it, and I love pretzels. And I if you like butter it, but like for a sandwich, a pretzel roll sucks. Okay. Wow. Pretzels shouldn't be rolls. They should well, be I don't hard. know what a pretzel roll is. It's what like a big you fat. Really I'm from it. New York. They're, is, they're happening in New York. York. Yeah. Yeah. I've never had a pretzel I've, I've never, roll. In my I've life, a, the thing is, a pretzel it, roll. it probably started in New York. <laughs> yeah. I used to get a pretzel roll every day when I worked in New York because of the commissary of where I worked. Oh, wow. I know. I've never had one. I'm sure it's what, is it salty. No, it, no. Sometimes there's salt on the top. They took all the good things of the pretzel. There's no cheese. Sometimes there's salt on the top. Not enough. Not enough for me. Go off king. Pretzel king. I stand. <laughs> I, I actually think it started in Chicago because I was living there between 2004 
2005 and 2012. Oh, word. I lived there then. Yeah. And it was oh, like. Oh, delicious. Yeah. And it was, it was like, <laughs> but Chicago is a leader in things that are bad for you, like yes. food wise. So usually if something becomes a national trend, it's like, and it's really bad for you. It's like yeah. it probably deep started dish. in Chicago. Yeah. Exactly. It's, yeah. It's deep too dish. dense. Yeah. I agree. Just like bagels make bad sandwiches. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Too dense. You can't bite it. it I love dense because I, I love dense. Okay. How do you, you it, it's the race, the texture ratio isn't right. Mm. Sorry. Well, that's okay. a hill for another day. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Z-Way, do you want to bring us home? Yes. Okay. My hill that I will die on, I think it is ageist that we shame babies for peeing in diapers. And I think that we as adults should start poo-poo and pee-peeing in diapers. Do we shame babies <laughs> yes, for peeing we, in diapers? Yes, we do. We insult them. We, we go, definitely... we go, little dumb baby pooped yeah, in his yeah, pants. Yeah, yeah. I wish I could poop in my pants. I've been taking cars <laughs> everywhere in LA and I have had to pee all the time. Jealous of babies. <laughs> Ageism is wrong. Remember that woman who drove from Texas to yes. Florida? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, an iconic story. Iconic. That's, my, that's the true crime I live we for. We have to stand. <laughs> we have to stand a poo-poo diaper. What is this story? <laughs> she was an astronaut. A jealous and, astronaut. Oh, jealous astronaut. And she was like, I got to get there. And she didn't want to take any potty breaks. Exactly. So she wore a diaper and Well, she's drove, used to it from Spain. Drove exactly. to Florida and found her man cheating. Exactly. Who amongst us oh, wouldn't the, like to do that? It's the Natalie Portman movie. Ooh. Is that what that movie's about? Wait, yeah. what's the name of the lady who drove? Lucy. Lucy. That's why the Natalie Portman movie is Lucy in the Sky. Wow. Oh, man. It all comes to, I didn't realize that that was a real thing. Brave. Z-way, no, it's brave. Z-Way is <laughs> p- pissing on that hill. Um, I can't say I'm going to die on that one with you. Um, I wish I could pee in my pants. I mean, look. I've I've rege- I've rejected maxi pads, and so I reject any sort of thing mm. that holds my I bodily. I love a cushion. Flip. You could wear a poise. I could. I see. I it's see. Frowned women upon. Of a, it's frowned upon. It's frowned upon. I would. I would if it was. If it wasn't so ageist oh. and discriminatory. The real woman was named Lisa. Sorry, oh, okay. <laughs> not Lisa. Lucy's a better character name. Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. For sure. Okay. That's all the time we have. Thank you, Megan, Dana, (laughs) and Z-Way for coming into the studio today. Thanks to Alyssa Mastermonico for calling in. And there will be more Hysteria next week. Hysteria is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our editor is Sarah Barrett. And Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support and to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadina Malconian for filming and editing our video content every week. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. Shop chef-quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com.